to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. First Thessalonians chapter 5, the rapture of the church. Some people don't like to talk about it because they're afraid that, well, I don't want to talk about something that we can't totally understand. And so I'm not going to deal with that. And I, I think as a pastor, I think we have to grapple with these issues. We have to grapple with these things and we have to look at scripture and compare it with other scripture to find out what it's saying. And, and so there are some pastors that won't even touch the book of Revelation. They go, man, that's just way over everybody's head. That is just filled with so much, you know, analogy and, and, uh, and, and stories and, and parable type uh, messages in there that it's just, it's just impossible to get through. So I don't even touch it. But John, he said that those who read and understand the book of Revelation are blessed. And so it's the only book in all of the Bible that you are said, it's, it's declared that you are blessed if you read it and understand it. And so why would we not want to be blessed of the Lord as we read through end times events? Now we're not in Revelation today. We're touching on, and, but we'll touch a little bit in the book of Revelation. But the point is here is that Paul is trying to address some issues that had come into the church of Thessalonica. And you remember we've talked about this, that uh, Paul was writing this letter to the church that was there in Thessalonica or Thessalonica, whatever you want to call it. But he was also writing this letter to the Laodiceans. It was a nearby city. And so it's a warning. It was a, it was a challenge. It was an exhortation to be careful to maintain your walk with the Lord, to maintain your, your, uh, your uh, uh, allegiance to the Word of God, your allegiance to God's Word, to Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and and not in stray teachings that will start to creep into the church. And that was what was happening. We talked two weeks ago, or two Sundays ago, when I taught uh, about the Epicureans that begin to come in. The Epicureans are those, it was that philosophy that, that, uh, people felt that God designed us to feel pleasure and to experience pleasure. And so therefore, our greatest, uh, goal in life is to experience any pleasure, any way we possibly can get it. If it feels good, do it. That's kind of the, where the mindset of the Epicureans come from. That's kind of their battle cry. That's their mantra. It's, it's, you know, if it feels good, do it. But what if it's something that's against scripture? That's where they would then go beyond it and say, it doesn't matter. God designed you to have and experience pleasure. And so therefore, if you feel good doing it, it's okay. It's all right. Well, you can see how that breaks down really fast. You can see how that just will rip up families. It'll rip up your life. And yet that was a philosophy that was dogging this church. And Paul was writing to him and saying, hey, watch out. Don't fall into this trap. Don't fall into this trap. They're trying to rip you off. And gang, as I said a couple of weeks ago, we're living in a day and an age and in a society in this world today that is trying to rip you off. It's trying to, it's trying to pry the word of God away from you and, and me and us. So that we look at the Word of God and we look at it with a with a a, a a shaded view, because the world tells us, "Oh, those are old stories, those are myths. That's not really what was meant there." And culturally, this is—I know that it says that this isn't right back in that time, but culturally, we believe that God says it's okay for us today because culturally we accept it. We, we broadly accept it. And, and that never, ever, ever fall into that trap. If everybody says that it's okay to do, what does the word of God say? If everyone 
chooses to do something that the Word of God says is is contrary to what the Word of God says, someone's wrong. And know this, the Word of God's never wrong. You're wrong, I'm wrong, the world's wrong, but the Word of God will, will never be wrong. Where God tells us that God will honor His Word even above His name. And here's the thing. God's Word is tried and true. This society that we're living, it's passing away, man. This is passing away. The fads that are today aren't going to be here tomorrow. The things that are here tomorrow won't be hot in two weeks after that. You know, buy a, buy a phone, buy a car, buy a computer. As soon as you take it home, they come out with a new model, don't they? It's the same kind of a thing socially and philosophically that we have going on in our country and in our world. Today, we all want to embrace this. Tomorrow, we'll embrace that. The thing is, what does the Word of God say? That's the one sure thing that you and I can anchor our soul to, and it's the Word of God. If you have questions, go to the Word of God. That's what Paul was trying to tell these these believers there in Thessalonica and in Laodicea. Be careful. Don't let a societal uh, acceptance come and creep into the church and you begin to practice in what society accepts, yet it's contradictory to the Word of God. Don't let that sway your decision. As you and I have talked about, they didn't heed Paul's advice. They actually began to get very lukewarm. We see in the book of Revelation, you know, in chapters 2 and 3, it's actually in chapter 3 where Jesus is talking to the church of Laodicea. Thessalonica wasn't around at this time. It had washed out and had actually moved over into to Laodicea. And Jesus said to the church of Laodicea, because you are neither hot nor cold, but you are lukewarm you make me sick. I want to vomit you out of my mouth. I want to spew you out of my mouth. And, and, and the, the point is, is that can you imagine? Can you imagine? This is like, this is like, any of you guys ever played any uh, sports or in any kind of, you know, you've been involved in something where at the end of the year you get a trophy or something like that or you're recognized. Maybe you've done something academically and they want to recognize you. You know, I was just, my wife and I were, and Nathan were at my uh, my niece. She lives here and she just graduated with a, a bachelor's of biology, you know, from USF. And we went to the, to the uh, uh, graduation, you know, the other day. And, uh, you know, all, all these people that were in there and they, they kind of, at the beginning, they go and they recognize various people who kind of rose to the top, you know, and, and they were given their awards, they were given their scholarships and they were given their different, you know, uh, items of commendation. And they had to get up in front of everybody and when they announced, this is why we're giving this to them, this is who they are, this is what they've done, here they are, and you come up in front of them all and everybody claps, good job, man, great job, what a great sacrifice, what a great thing you've done. Can you imagine being one of the seven churches? That's what's happening. We're sitting here in the crowd. There are millions, billions of people that have been reading this, this Bible over the years that go through and look at the seven churches. And when you come along, Jesus goes, okay, hey, for the church of Laodicea, why don't you come on up here? And in front of everyone, they might come up with, oh, look at this, we're a church, we're a Laodicea, and we're up in front of everybody. And Jesus says, listen, I know your works, that you're neither hot nor cold, but you're lukewarm. You make me sick. I want to vomit you out of my mouth. That's not what we want, right? That's what Paul was trying to warn against. And gang, know this. If it can happen to the church of Thessalonica and Laodicea, it can happen to you. And it can happen to me. It can happen to us. The only way that we can thwart this, the only way that we can pro- uh, prevent ourselves from falling down the road of Laodicea is for us to be strong in the Word of God. If that ever is not our number one, boom, 
hit to you and, and, and statement to you. Get into the Word. Get into the Word. Know the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? There's, there's, I've counseled, if not everyone in this room, most of you. What's one of the biggest things I'll say? Probably the biggest thing. What does the Word say? What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? And so here's the thing. Stay in the Word. Stay in the Word of God. Know the Word of God. Know it so that when, when a counterfeit comes, you, you'll know it. You'll know the truth. And so here's the thing. Paul was trying to get to them and say, listen, these guys are going to kind of come in and, and rip you off. And then they, they went in and they said, listen, here, here's the other thing. Here, here's another thing. They've come in and they, they're trying to rip you off by saying, oh yeah, bummer. Aunt Marge just died, right? Yeah. Too bad for Aunt Marge. She's not going to be a part of the resurrection. She's done. It's all over for Aunt Marge. Aunt Marge is missed out on heaven. And, and Paul, he says, guys, I don't want you to be ignorant about these things. I don't want you to be ignorant about those things. If they've passed on, they're going to be with the Lord too. He reassured them. He was trying to reassure them today. And, and he, he said, listen, I don't want you to be ignorant. And let me just read it real quick. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep or those who have died. Aunt Marge, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and he rose again, even so God will bring with him, Aunt Marge, those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. Paul's not saying, hey, this is not, this isn't my word. He's saying, this is God's word. This is the word of God to you. This we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. And then he explains how it's going to happen. For the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Paul's saying, I want you to comfort one another with these words. Why is he saying these words should comfort you? These words should comfort you. These words should comfort me because whether we are alive or whether we have passed on, whether we have died in the Lord, we're not going to miss out on heaven. The thing is, is that we as we're alive and remain, we get the opportunity to live for Christ. We might hear, even this day, the Lord descending from heaven with a, with a shout, with a voice of an archangel, with a trump of God. And, and we talked about that last week. I, I, I think it's kind of moves along into the fourth chapter of the book of Revelation. Chapter one is kind of the outline of the whole of the book. Chapter 2 and 3 is talking about the churches. It talks about all seven church ages, if you will. To the church of Laodicea, to the church of Sardis, to the church of Ephesus, to the church of Pergamos. All the churches there, he, Jesus is talking. That's what chapters 2 and chapter 3 encapsulate. But then chapter 4, Paul comes on, or John, excuse me, he, he says, after these things, you remember we talked about that last week. After these things, meta tauta, after these things, after what things? After the church age, behold, I looked and a door was standing open in heaven and a voice shouted from heaven and it said, and a trump and a voice shouted out from heaven saying, come up here. I believe that I, I, I tend to, to lean towards chapter four, talking about the rapture of the church. Because after chapter three, you no longer see the church in all of the book of Revelation until you pick it back up in chapter 21, late 20 uh, and, and 21. And no, not even in 20, 21 and 22. The church isn't mentioned again in the book of Revelation. 
There are those that will say, hey, here's the thing, the rapture of the church, there's no such thing. We talked about that also. The rapture of the church, that's one of those things that Christians have come up with. It's a very new term. It's something that really even over the last, you know, uh, you know, say 60, 70, 80 decades, that uh, that's kind of new. It's a kind of a new thought. Well, I don't know. I, I, I look at the Bible right here and I think Paul understood it. So it's, it's longer than just back into the 1800s, back into the early 1900s. Speaking of decade, know this. This is the last message that we're going to teach. This is the last message that we're going to have in, in all together in this decade. This decade, this is the last message. Isn't that kind of cool? Neither here nor there, but here's the thing. There are those that skeptics and there, there are those that, that are antagonists against the, against the rapture and say there's no such word as rapture. Christians, you know, there are certain people that ascribe to it and they brought it up and they, they've kind of made this word up. Well, it's not a made up word and we talked about that. The word is harpazo. If you want to call it harpazoed, hey, you know, hey, we're going to be raptured up. No, 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 we're going to be harpazoed up. Well, that's the Greek word. Okay, the Greek word is harpazo. Harpazo. In the Latin Vulgate, the word harpazo is translated rapturos, where we get our English word rapture from. And so when we see that, that word rapturos, that that word harpazo is in verse 17, where when we who are, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, caught up. That word caught up means to be violently seized. You know, there's been times in my life where when Nathan was a little boy, a young little boy, and some of you have experienced something like this before, maybe to you or by you, you see a little child about to run into the street or about to go and, and, and run into something or, or run into some sense of danger. And you as a parent or you as a, as a, a responsible individual, you see that child running towards harm's way and you reach out and you don't really even do it gently. Because gentle is maybe not on the recipe. That, maybe that's not what's necessary right now to be gentle, but to grab a child and pull them back. It, I'll fix the hurt after you're safe. But if I try to do it gentle and I try to do it soft and I try to try to do it slowly, I won't get to you in time. You're going to get hit. And your justification, well, I just didn't want to be violent with the child. I didn't want to be aggressive. Well, see, we'd never be, we'd never say that, right? If we saw that a child was in danger, we saw that a child was was in potential or imminent death-defying danger. We're going to, whatever we have to do, grab that child and pull that child out of the way. I talked to you last week. I had that dream, my son. I don't know why. On my little flat roof back in Mentone, California, why I would even ever think about doing this, but I, for whatever in my dream, I had Nathan up there at two years old or less than two years old. He just knew how to walk. He was 11. Just joking. He, he, he was up there on that roof and he was running towards the edge of the roof and he was going to go off. And, and as I, in my dream, my heart sunk and I ran. And as I ran, I knew this is not going to be good. And I got over to him just as he was running off, unknown to him, as he was running off the edge of the, of the roof, I reached out and grabbed him as he fell off by his chest and I threw him back on top of the roof and he landed I'm sure in a in a puddle up there just as a mess I'm sure I I fell down into the to the wrought iron spikes that were down there on the fence that was a part of Cleo's house who lived next door to us and and that's when I woke up when I was basically impaled myself on those those things. That was a horrible dream. I don't know why I had that dream. Wish somebody could tell me what the meaning of that dream was. 
Maybe it was so that I'd have this illustration today. The thing was, I didn't care about whether or not Nathan was going to get hurt by me throwing him back up on the roof or not. My fear was that he was going to fall off the roof into sure death. I threw him back on the roof. Was he crying? Sure, he'd probably cry. The point is, I violently did what a father had to do. And that's the picture here of the rapture. God looks at you and he looks at me and he sees that we're living in dangerous times, man. We're living in horrible times. We're living in times that are potentially death-defying to you and to me. And yet God has a plan still. God still has a plan. And, and as we we experience God's plan, I mean, here we've kind of gone through a little bit of a rough patch here with the Sullivans, you know, moving on. But does God still have a plan for you? Does God still have a plan for me? My calling never changed. My calling's still here. My calling's not going anywhere. My calling was God calling me here. God then called them over here. God's now called them on. God's not called me on. This is what God's called me to do. And I'm going to do and be and do whatever God has called me to do. I'm going to teach the word. I'm going to just be as faithful as I, I know how. The point is, we're going to miss him. Miss him already. But here's the thing. God has a plan. God has a plan. God has a plan in some of you. Maybe it's time for some of you guys to step up and do some things. You, you know what? I, I see it in you. I hear it in you. I hear it in your voices. I hear it in you come and talking to me about things. I know that. We'll get together here right after the beginning of the year and, and, and we'll sit down and we'll talk. But here's the thing. God has a plan and God's plans are always perfect. I love that about the Lord. I love that about the Lord because... In my limited knowledge, I can freak out. But in God's all-knowing, omniscience, his all-knowingness, I know that he knows where we're going and he he knows what we're doing. I know I'm not going to turn my back on him. I know that I'm going to continue to walk with him. He has a plan. He's got this. I might not know how it's all going to happen. He's got it. I'm going to trust him. And you're going to see me go through weak times and strong times and what have you. I hope that I don't misrepresent this pulpit. I hope that you see that what I teach on a week by week basis, I'm going to live. I don't plan to not live that way. I plan to live what I teach. And, and I, 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 expect you, I I think that you want to live what you're taught. Not because it's my word, but because we we teach the word. If what I don't teach, I was just, I think I was talking to, I think it was John today, talking about, hey, listen, you know, he was talking to somebody about coming to church. Maybe, I think it was you, John, you know, that person said, well, does he teach the Bible? You know, John said, well, yeah, our pastor says, listen, if what I'm, if what our pastor says this, if what I'm saying isn't right, go home and look it up in the Bible. Make sure, and then go and talk to the pastor about why it's not right, why it's not true, why it is that he's teaching wrong. He'll listen to you and he'll, he'll change, he'll, he'll look at, he'll see, he'll check the word. I want, I'm responsible to the Lord of the word that comes from this pulpit. I want you to have truth. And I will never, I will never present myself as to be the absolute authority over all things. God's word is the authority, not my word. And if I teach something that's not accurate, I want to know. Because I'm going to have to answer to the Lord about not teaching accuracy. But you're gonna to have to, you're gonna to have to answer to the Lord about your life and living in purity before the Lord also. The point of all of this is, is that Paul is trying to encourage these guys and say, listen, there's a time where God is gonna violently take you out of this place. 
It's going to rock your world. He will seize you quickly. God has a plan until that day. There's one more person that God, there's a, there's somebody. God knows the last person that's going to be witness to. Can you imagine if we knew who that guy was? We knew who the last person it was going to be that when they got witness to and they accepted the Lord and they said, in Jesus name, amen. And they opened their eyes and go, wow, life is really different, you know, and and because they're in heaven. Boom. They're with the Lord immediately. They've been raptured. Wow. When I opened my eyes, I heard this trump and the voice of God and the voice of an archangel. And and I, wow, I'm. Is this what it means to be a Christian? Man, I've blown it my whole life. You know, that person there, there's that guy out there, that gal out there. I don't know who it is, but if we knew, we'd be knocking on their door, wouldn't we? We don't know. There's coming a day when Jesus is going to come back and he's going to take us home. He's going to take us home. And that's what Paul was trying to say. I, Paul is saying, I believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. He can come back at any time. He can come back at any time. I want to live my life for Jesus today and tomorrow and always until he comes back to take me home in death or to take me home in the rapture. I win both ways. I win both ways. And Paul says, I want you to encourage. I want you to comfort one another with these words. Don't let someone come in and rip you off. Know the word of God. He then says, "I concerning the times and the seasons... Brethren, you have no need, and this is verse chapter 5, verse 1. You have no need that I should write to you. You guys know the word, right? You're reading this. You know it. I've taught you this. Concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. We don't know when it's going to happen. We just know it's going to happen. And it's going to come when the Lord chooses to come. He has a time. We don't know that day. And so what we need to do is be ready until that day comes. The Lord comes as a thief in the night for when they say, who's they? Paul's now differentiating between they and us. They are the unbelievers. They are the world. They are the unsaved. They are not of us. They are not believers. When the when they the world, the culture, society, when they, the unbelieving world, when they say, hey, peace and safety, Paul says, in sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You know, he's saying, as what I'm saying right now, you guys are being taught this right now. The light should be going on in your head that, hey, Jesus could come back at any time. Am I ready? That's what Paul's saying. This day should never overtake you. This should never overtake you as, oh, man, if I only would have known. The idea is to live your life every single day as if Jesus were going to be coming back today. Because you know what? He very well may. But you don't have to, you don't have to go, oh, I have to dread this day. I have to dread this day. Why would you ever dread a day that you're going to see Jesus face to face? Why would you ever dread a day that sin will be done away with? Why would you ever dread a day that, that nighttime will cease? Loneliness will end and hopelessness will be done away with. Why would you ever be afraid of that day when you why would you want to reject that day? Why would you want to push that day out? Why would you ever want to, I just am afraid. I just was talking to somebody uh, recently about, and, and have been talking to them for years, many years. They struggle with their salvation. They struggle with their surety of salvation. They struggle that maybe God is, well, that God was against them for the longest time. But now everything's going right in their life, it seems, and everything's going really, really well. And it's nobody in this church, so please know that I'm not breaking any confidences in here. Um, 
nobody in this church. Nobody that has left this church. None of that, okay? Here's the thing. <laughs> I, I have to say that because I don't want anybody to go, oh, man, he's talking about me. I'm not talking about you. I, I will never break a confidence that we have. But this person is struggling over their salvation. Man, I'm just afraid that God, he doesn't like me. And so this is all the things, everything happens in my life and it's always horrible and this and that and the other thing. And so they're always, they're always complaining about, you know, wanting to serve the Lord, but as they're serving the Lord, it seems like bad things happen and God just is really, you know, this and that. And so they give God a, always a bad rap. Well, now all of a sudden everything's really, really, really going very well in this person's life. You'd think that things would be good. This person has repented. This person has told people, I'm so sorry that I've done and said such horrible things about the Lord while I was in the dumps because I was just wrong. But now this person, everything is going well in their life and everything that they ever dreamed of having was is right now in their hands. And now they contact me the other day and say, I'm just afraid that God is allowing me to do this and have all this stuff because he knows that he's sending me to hell in the, in the end and that he just wants me to enjoy this last bit of my life before he actually, you know, condemns me to hell. And I'm going, holy cow, again? Are we having to go down this road again? Do we have to continue? I mean, Jesus talked about people like this. He talked about, he talked about the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and, and the, the religious leaders. He said, listen, when John the Baptist came to you, you said, oh, oh, you know, he just, he's Mr. Dedicated. He's this guy and, 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 and you're never satisfied with that. When I come, John came and he didn't drink drink any wine. He didn't put anything wrong to his lips. And he, oh, that guy's so out of it. That guy's so wrong. I come and I I do drink wine. Jesus say, says, and I I I, I live my life the way that I've lived my life. And you go, oh, the guy's a glutton and a wine bibber. He eats with sinners. And and he says, listen, you guys will never be satisfied. You, you, you are just never satisfied. You're always picking something to, to, to come down on. You're always finding the negative in everything. And that's what this person is. I'm going, listen, here's the thing. Do you believe these things? Have you confessed Jesus with your mouth and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Absolutely, this person said. I said, what does the Bible say? You will be saved. You're saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe that? Absolutely with every fiber of my being. Why are we having this discussion? Because I just think that maybe I, I think that God is just wanting to just give me kind of some respite before he sends me off for eternity. I'm going, you know what? You can live like that for the rest of your life if you want. You're going to go to heaven at the end. You're just ripping yourself off for the rest of your earthly life. You're ripping yourself off of all that God wants to do in your life because you're thinking that God is what? Some conniving guy up in heaven that's just going, oh, watch this. So when your mom and dad gave you a present at Christmas when you were a child, do you think that they gave that present to you? Because they said, hey, let's give her a really good present or him a really good present. And because later on today, we're going to spank him hard. Oh, man, I can't wait. Open that present. Woo-hoo! Now get to the bathroom. You know, the belt comes off, you know. What kind of sadistic mind of a father would that be? What are you, what are you ascribing to God? Stop it. Live your life. Live for Jesus. Live according to the word. That's it. Again, I say it again. Listen, guys, living the Christian life is not inherently hard to know how to do. It's harder to live, I agree. But knowing what to do is not inherently hard. We have the word in front of us. We have the rule book. We have the love letter, 66 of them, by the way, that God wrote to you and he wrote to me. And He he's pouring out his love for you in this word 
And he's saying, do you want to have a relationship with me? It's found here. Do you want to not be ripped off by the world? Mm, It's found here. Do you want to know what pleases me and and, and how to have a walk with me? Mm, Yeah, it's found here. Know this and you'll know my heart. Follow this, you'll follow my path. Trust me. My word says that the Holy Spirit, my Holy Spirit will help you to understand what this book says. It will teach of me. It'll lead you and it'll guide you. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 8, didn't he? The Holy Spirit. He'll lead you and he'll guide you into all the truth. How? You got the word. We have the word of God. The day that the Lord comes back should not overtake you nor shock you. It might shock us a little bit because we're not used to hearing a trump, a voice of God and a voice of an archangel. You know, heaven's opened up. You know, back in the old, you know, in the late 60s, early 70s, they used to have rapture, uh, 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 what do they call it? They call them uh, uh, rapture drills. And we used to have, you know, uh, Sunday nights, we'd, we'd have a, a you know, a, a group at someone's home and you'd go and, and someone would go, you know, rapture alert or, you know, and, and what we do is, you know, a, a rapture test or, you know, and, and rapture drill is what it was. Rapture drill. And everybody'd stand up and go, you know, <laughs> it's just stupid, you know, but the thing is the, the idea was, Hey, when anybody said rapture drill, you just, you just, wherever you were. And it was kind of a cool, funny thing because you could be at school, you know, rapture drill. All right, you know, you know, and, and are you ready? Are you ready? We, we thought to do this with, it was in the winter time and, and we were in the middle of a Bible study. We had like 40 people in our, our Bible study and one person got up to go to the bathroom and the teacher said, Hey, everybody take your coats and put them right down where you are, and let's get up and walk out. Let's go. And they left. He said, rapture drill! And then, and we all got out, you know? And and the guy came back in, and he's going, oh! You know, <laughs> where is everyone? I've been left behind. I don't ever want to be left behind. I want to live my life for Jesus. I want you to live your life for Jesus. You know why? Jesus said, I came that you might have my joy, and that my joy... Your joy would be full. That your his joy would be in you. That's not in future. That's in today. Live for Jesus today. Know his word. Don't be sucked into what society says. Know that Jesus is coming back at any moment. But for the world, the world might look smart. The world might sound smart. The world might have a lot of arguments that are out there that they'll agree to, which will make you feel like you're stupid because they all agree, but you don't. It's that mindset of a, of a class where you have one person. Everybody is in on the gag except you. Have you seen ever, ever seen one of those things where the teacher goes up and says, Hey, over here, we got a blue screen. Over here, we have a red screen. And this is actually red and that's actually blue. Who agrees with that? This is our red screen and this is our blue screen. They're opposite. And everybody in the class raises their hand. Or 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 they say, you know, this is the blue screen, say. And the teacher goes, is this the blue screen? When in all actuality, they've said that it's the red screen. And the only hand that wants to go up really hard is the one person. And they're going, but nobody else is putting their hands up, so it must be wrong. I must be wrong. Power of suggestion. The power of the populace. The power of popular thinking. Don't let that ever destroy your walk with Jesus. Don't ever let that destroy your dependence upon God's word. Because here's the thing. Jesus is coming back, whether or not you're living for him or not. He's going to come back. The point is, the question is, are you ready? Am I ready? You and I have no excuse. 
We know it shouldn't overtake us. It shouldn't, brethren, we're not in, we're not in darkness so that this day should overtake us as a thief. We should know when it comes right on, man, we're out of here. Paul goes on verse five. You're all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep or sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Let's not just become brain dead is what he's saying, but let us watch and be sober. Are we ready? Are we expecting Jesus to come back? I hope you are. I hope you're living that way. For those who sleep, they sleep at night. And those who get drunk, they get drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Why? Because God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, whether we're alive or whether we're dead, we should live together with him. Therefore, he says it again, comfort each other and edify one another just as you are also doing. So here Paul says something, and I'm going to just comment on this and then we'll, we'll, we'll end today. Paul says, God did not appoint us. Remember I said that he distinguishes between us and they? He says, God did not appoint us to wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't obtain, he, he didn't appoint us under wrath. Where was the wrath that was coming upon us, where was it dealt with? Anyone. There was a wrath that was going to come down upon every person who has not a relationship with God. It's coming down upon all men. It's coming down upon all men. When did that wrath, when was that wrath lifted from you? God's wrath, when was it lifted from you? At the cross, right? At the cross. And there are those that say, no, here's the thing. You're going to have to go through part of the tribulation. Well, the way I look at the tribulation, I see these guys in the tribulation saying, Mountains fall on us. The wrath of God has come down upon the, the mankind. When you look at the book of Revelation from 6 through 19, what you'll see is the, is the tribulation. The, the tribulation happening. Now there are those that say, well, I believe that the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation, before any bad things happen. I believe there's others that believe, well, I believe it's, I'm a mid-tribber. I believe that somewhere along in the middle, we're going to get raptured. And then there are the post-tribbers that say, oh, it happens after the tribulation happens. Then there are those that call the pre-wrath rapture, and that's kind of where the, the, uh, uh, Marvin Rosenthal has kind of championed that, and that's the, the Holy Land experience up there. You'll get a lot of his books if you go into the library up there. The thing is, is I don't agree with those. I, I don't see that. Because I see that the, from beginning in chapter, in, in chapter six, you see God's wrath coming down upon a Christ rejecting world. Did I reject Christ? No. Why is God's wrath coming down upon the world? It's because they rejected God's gift of his son. That's it. That's it. Why? God's not throwing out, God's not doling out wrath upon a world that doesn't deserve it. Do I deserve to, to come under God's wrath again? If I don't understand God's grace, if I don't understand the blood of Jesus Christ, I can surely come up with an answer of yes there. But if I understand that the blood of Jesus Christ, a drop of his, a half a drop of his blood was enough to wash my sins away and to make me right with God and the wrath being removed from me if, if, if I still think that God's wrath can come down upon me, I don't understand the cross. 
I don't understand the cross. The wrath was removed from me at the cross. The wrath was removed from you at the cross. And so when God begins to judge a world that has rejected his son, why would he, why would he, why would he dole out punishment upon those who have accepted him? And the wrath is gone. I, I don't understand those. I, I don't have any time to get into all of this. There's, I'm trying to hit just the top of that. I mean, we could really dig into that and I could show you a lot of the reasons why I don't believe in the mid, why I don't believe in the pre-wrath, I don't believe in the post. I believe that Paul was a pre-tribulational rapture guy because he's saying, hey, God didn't appoint us under wrath but to obtain salvation. God is going to descend. Here's what it is. We believe that the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together in the Lord of the air. So we shall ever be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. How can they be comfortable? How can they comfort you if you know, hey, before I actually get to experience this, I'm going to have to go through some horrible, perilous times where God is doling out meteor-sized judgment down upon this earth fire from heaven and and horrible, horrible, harsh, harsh judgment upon this earth. There's no comfort there. The comfort is, is that God is taking us out of here. He's going to remove the church, I believe. I believe that's why Revelation chapter four says the very first thing, after these things, after what things? After the church is gone, I looked and behold, the door was standing open in heaven and a voice said, come up here. That's where the church goes. The church goes. It's taken up into heaven long before the tribulation starts. Before the tribulation starts. Not long before, but before the tribulation starts. So the point is, is that Paul's saying, I want you to comfort one another with these words. I'm going to end with this. Guys, we're living in the last days. We're living in a day right now where the world, it's easy to reject Christ. It's easy it's easy for the world. It's Let me even take it away from the world because we know, hey, the world, let's not do what the world wants us to do because that's not what God would want us to do. Where it gets tricky is when you begin to look at the church. Be careful of the church. The church is allowed, much of the church is allowed the world to seep in. And they begin to explain away much of the scripture in order to uh, embrace what society says is the norm. That is something that is anti-biblical, contradictory, 100% contradictory to scripture. And they'll justify it by saying, well, the culture says that we can accept it. And if we accept it, it's okay before God. And I say, if my life, if my philosophy of living in any capacity is contradictory to the word of God, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. The word of God is never wrong. God's never wrong. I'm wrong. And just because a culture says it's okay, just because a culture embraces something, doesn't mean that that's what the word of God embraces. And it's going to cause a lot of heartache. It's going to cause some some problems. It's going to cause some 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 hard days in your Christian life. But know this, there's some pretty hard days in Jesus' life too. He'll never take you into something. He'll never have you do something. He'll never cause you to walk a road that he himself is not going to also be on that road with you. He's there for you, man. Let's live our last days. And when I say that, it could be today, it could be a hundred years from now. We might all be gone. But let's, in the days that we have remaining, let's live for the Lord. Amen? Let's live for Him in such a way that if He were coming back today, I wouldn't be afraid to see Him. Ask yourself that question. Would I be afraid to see Jesus today because my life is not right? And if that answer for you is, I would not want to see Jesus today. Today would not be a good day. That calendar day doesn't work for me. 
because I would be ashamed. I would not want to see Jesus with my life being the way that it is. Well, then you now know what you need to offer up and surrender to the Lord. Because you know what? Don't live in contradiction to the life that God wants you to live. That makes sense. Expect his coming. He's coming back. He's coming back soon. Are you ready? In Jesus' name, Father, we come before you and we pray that you would cement these words deep into our heart that, Lord, we don't do this out of fear, but we do this out of love and 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 excitement and and uh, just a, a, a desire to know that, God, you have a plan for us individually and even corporately as a church. Show us the way, Lord. Guide us in your word. Guide us by the power of your Holy Spirit. May our eyes always be looking to you to seek your face. May we open your word. May we know your word. When we come into a conflict of knowing what, 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 what should be right or wrong, Lord, may we allow your word to umpire, to rule in our hearts, in our minds. Because God, we want to live for you. At least I pray that that's our, our prayer. I hope that that's our prayer. May we live for you. May we not live with regret. May we not want to push out the rapture further down the road than today. May we live for you today as if you were coming back today because today you very well could be. Why not today? Could be today. We lift up our lives to you. I lift up this church to you. God, I pray you place your hand upon it. You continue to guide us. You continue to empower us. You continue continue to draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.